You're now listening to We Might Need Counseling. Welcome to another episode of We Might Need Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Dougie Cash. I'm Jovan. The coffee is wonderful, Meredith. <laughs> on today's episode, we have a very special guest, Tahiri Jose, which we'll bring on shortly. But before we do, I'm not going to lie. Jovan, did you hear about what happened yesterday within the entertainment industry with the... A little bit the, about the manager. A big agent and a manager. I mean, I don't want to say names. Right. Normally, you know, because a lot of what's happening right now within society and the world and entertainment, it's slippery slope and it's really dangerous territory right. to to tread in. But I felt a certain way. I'm not going to lie. And for those who don't know... Don't get fired. <laughs> for those who don't know, a very powerful agent at one of the biggest agencies was relieved of his job due to, I think, a joke that was made in poor taste. Yeah. And a deadline broke the news of this joke. And they actually leaked the actual email of what was said. And then the response of the manager who felt offended. Now, I'm not going to tell anyone how to feel. And, and I think we spoke about this yesterday. A little bit. Because I definitely think the joke was was definitely made in poor taste. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes the context is what matters. And it appears, now, I, again, I don't know the logistics of the entire situation. But to my understanding, they've had a working relationship for a long, long time, which means there was a level of comfort there. I'm going to assume they would joke back and forth about things, but clearly the agent making a joke like that, there was like a level of comfort that he had with this manager whom they share an Oscar winning client together. So let's just get into it. So the manager asked the agent for a link to one of the agent's client's new films, because I guess the manager was considering putting his client in the movie. The agent responded with a scene from so Don't a Be favor a Menace. Was asked. Right, a, a favor. favor was asked. The agent responded, well, this reminds me of this scene from Don't Be a Menace. The famous scene with the cheeseburger with Lorenz Tate's character, O-Dog, if you haven't watched the movie. The link is, it's like, you know, can I please get some crack? And the dude was like, what? No, I'm not going to give you no crack for free. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he responded, I'll suck your, you know, right. I think you got it, you know. And right. that was a famous scene in the movie. Right. So the, the agent sent that link to the manager, like, you needing a favor reminds me of this. Now, Terrible joke. It's not great movie, by the way. Love not the movie's society. great. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible joke. I guess the manager was offended, and the next day sent the email to the agent saying, "You know the fact that you're yeah." So the agent's white. Mm-hmm. Well, the manager is black. Yes. That's a huge part of it. But that's a big. No, part no, of it, it's though. a it's a big part of it. But yeah. but let's stay away from that mm. because it's irrelevant. Too specific. It's irrelevant. Yeah. The manager sent the agent an email stating that you are a white man in a position of power. And the fact that it appears you view black people asking for a favor from this scene and don't be a menace is problematic. Anyway, all of that led to this agent being let go. One email that we know of. That we know of. Now, we don't know what the relationship has been throughout the years, but we do know they've shared the same client for years. So clearly there's a relationship there. There's a level of comfort. Do you feel that that agent, keep in mind, we're, we're black men. Okay, so I'm always going to be on the side of us. <laughs> well, you know, debatable. Just kidding. Depends uh, but, on the application. <laughs> but I'm always going to be on the side of us. And I have thoughts, but I want to know, how do you feel? Do you think that agent should have been fired? Like all agents should be fired. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, I don't know. There's too many variables, but I understand the perspective of the agency. 
you know, when you have so many other variables to take into consideration and it's such a touchy subject right now. Mm -hmm. So I kind of get it. I do think the joke was in poor taste. I think it's just the lesson to be learned in terms of knowing your audience. But I can understand from the accused or just I was not even the accused, the one that did it, his perspective of saying, hey, you know, I thought I was we were cool. And there is a certain familiar nature that you have to have in, in the entertainment industry to, you know, when you are networking and you have these relationships, they blur the lines of friendship versus business. So you do tend to feel more comfortable with people at times. So I could see how, you know, we'd be lying if we all didn't make an off-color comment or joke, you know, uh, uh, to someone at some point. To do it via email is a little bit more risky. So you, there must have been some level of comfort. Well, here's the thing. So not only did he say it over the phone, right? Because apparently he said the joke over the phone. Right. And the manager sort of laughed it off, right? Which which, which we've all been, look, in this business, we've so all sort of been on, on calls and... But no, he texted the yeah, link yeah, yeah. So of the scene the, to the, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so he thought the joke was so He thought so the joke good. was fine. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so I mean, maybe maybe in the joke he felt comfortable. He, like, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. But the whole point is, is like, do I think it's extreme? Yes. I don't think losing jobs is something that we should be in practice of. And you, we talked about it on our cancel culture episode. Someone's livelihood is their livelihood. You take that away from somebody, that stuff people get beat up and killed over. You know, you're going to take my livelihood away from me. Now this is something crazy. But at the same time is, you know, when you send something out, even if it's not even something offensive, you're responsible for what you send out. And unfortunately, it led to Yeah, you know, I, I will say this, and I'm never going to tell someone how to feel. I'm never going to tell someone what should or should not offend you. But I will say this, if we're going to just be firing people and canceling people, we have to have some sort of educational programs out there that helps teach people well, you do though. Where I don't, I'm unaware. Are you talking about sensitivity programs at a company? Uh, it, it, yeah, like, like think about the times we're in and how quickly they've been evolving. And because the times have changed, they need to do retraining of what is okay and what's not. Because here's the problem: at work, we spend 70 percent or more per time of our time with each other. So your work family literally becomes your family. Right. So within the constructs of work in a professional environment, there is going to be a level of comfort because you're always with that person, which means that there may be times you do make a joke that, you know, isn't deemed work appropriate, appropriate yeah. but it depends on, in my opinion, it depends on the relationships you have with some of the people. And it sort of plays into what you said, know your audience. You can't make certain jokes with everyone. Right. And it's, I just think it's an unfortunate situation, you know. I it's just, unfortunate on both sides. I just, on was, both it, sides. It was a joke and bad taste. Does Terrible it, taste. Does, do I think it warrants him losing his job? No. I don't know, but I'm not the person that was offended by it. And the person that was offended by it, you know, felt some type of... Who leaks that to to whomever is like, really? Like, that's... It must have been a slow news day for that to be out there. Like, really? Like, you know, because there's plenty of other things that we need to be worried about. But make no mistake about it, companies do let, remind you. It's just what we do at a when you work at a company. I mean, obviously I work at a company, you work at a company. Those are just usually like quick little things that you, uh, that, <laughs> yeah, quick quick little things that that you don't really pay attention to. You just, all right, we have to do our, uh, our sexual harassment training this week. You don't pay attention to anything that they're saying. And maybe to your point, we need to put more of an emphasis on it. No, no, we need to. More importantly, I think, look, I'm not the indoor BR. I'm not going, as I said, and I hate to sound like a broken record. I don't think he should have lost his job for that. If he has a track record of these things, that's, that's what a, I'm saying. You don't it's know a about, different conversation. Yeah. But I'm from the school of, if you say something to me that offends me, I am going to show up 
to you or I'm going to call you and we're going to talk about it directly. But again, I'm cut from a different cloth. I think that you escalate things when it's like, yeah, come on, bro. And depending on your track record, because that matters. Put like this, if I've known you for as long as I've known you, and then you said some off the wall sh based on mm -hmm. our relationship, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be like, yo, what's like, you feel comfortable what, what was that about? about that. Yeah. I'm not gonna then right. go to your, but everyone's different and I'm not trying to condemn the manager. So I just wanna be clear. I'm just saying, I don't think the person should have been fired. I think it's, it's, you know. With that being said. With that being said. Be careful. <laughs> be careful with it, especially Listen. if you're a male in today's society. Or female. I don't want to just make it a male. Yeah, thing. but especially female. I think female, you definitely should know. But I, I, I think that there is because here's here's what I'm gonna say about that. There was a high level executive years back mm -hmm. whose emails were hacked. Mm -hmm. High level, one of the highest levels, still has their job. Not that job, but I, I, you I, get I, what I, I'm I, saying. I know what you're saying. So I'm like, yeah, you know, let's just be real about it. I know you're still in the game. So I don't want to put you in a tough predicament. You know, I'll, even but... I'll even tell you this. One of the things that are happening today, it's like, I feel like on all of the work Zooms and calls today, you can feel people sort of tiptoeing and walking on eggshells yeah. because you don't know what's going to offend who. Yep. And it's just like, sometimes on these calls, I don't even want to talk because it's just like, you may say something that gets taken way out of context. I didn't mean it that way. And that Isn't happens that crazy? In a job where a lot. Your, your, your requirement to do your job is to talk. Yeah, you can't talk. Yeah. I just would love to throw one thing in this. What's that, Mikey? First and foremost, you know who Rahm Emanuel is, right? He worked for Bar uh, Barack Obama's administration. Mm -hmm. His brother is the character that was played by Piven in the, the Entourage mm -hmm. series. Mm -hmm. Now, if you remember that character, the character was built on the framework of an actual yeah. person. And who, what, what was he but a jerk, right? Yeah. He was an asshole. Yeah. The industry in that space, that that's known for being inappropriate. Right. Agents are known for being space. obnoxious and saying crazy stuff. That's right. Yeah. And so to yeah. me, it's like the culture there, it needs to be revamped entirely if you want to break the cycle. But the truth of the matter is, is that it was already the way it was and it was working the way it was. That's all. I think there is a little bit of vengeance. The scales are being balanced. Mm -hmm. For years, you're right. I worked at an agency and the stuff that was said and done and bullying and the tactics. Listen, I heard, freedom. You, I heard, I heard, and not to interject, some of the horror stories I've heard at agencies, like agents throwing staplers at Pete, you would have got rock bottom real quick. I probably wouldn't be in the business, but right, there right. is some toxicity and things what that I'm have saying. happened historically that do need to be amended, but I don't think everything is a fireable offense off the rip. Right. We need to, if anything, sit down together with HR, with someone, and, and talk about why you felt that way. Even though we have this relationship, have you ever heard of why that's not okay, and then keep it pushing. But to make people lose their livelihoods when it's hard, Enough to get a job today is insane. Anyway. Be careful. But we got somebody waiting for us. Yeah, so we have Tahiri Jose on the queue. Tahiri just wrote a new book, I Got Me. So we want to talk with her about that and everything else she has going on in life. Tahiri, are you there? I'm here, guys. What's going on? All right, so let's introduce you the right way. So we have Star of Love and Hip Hop, New York. Star of Couples Therapy. <laughs> I think. No, it wasn't couples therapy. It was a marriage boot camp. Marriage, marriage boot camp. camp. Star of marriage it. boot camp. Yes. <laughs> Good catch. <laughs> Legend in the Heights in New York City. Your favorite hip hop model. Cover girl. Cover yeah, girl. Okay. Yeah. Superstar entrepreneur. And now author. Thank you. Thank which you. is big. <laughs> yeah, Tahiri Jose. Make some noise. <laughs> hey. Tahiri, what's up? How are you? Thank you for being with us. 
Thank you for that intro. You was amazing. I feel like I can do better, but just for the sake of time, we're going to roll with it. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah, good. <laughs> you covered. You covered a lot. So you writing a book, was this something, and, and I hate to just dive right in, and I sort of want to build up to that, but real briefly, talk about what sort of inspired you to write this book and what it's about. It wasn't supposed to be a book. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a woman in this game, which is already super difficult, especially looking the way I look. So being my own hype man, waking up every morning, trying to make these moves, you know, trying to get that respect, things not working out all the time, being the oldest, my parents not understanding what I do for a living, why I got a degree, but I turned around and I'm on social media and on reality TV. And, you know, so many factors that I had to find strength somewhere. So I started to write on post-its. I started to put things up on my wall so I can see them. It used to be that dress or that girl I wanted to kind of look like that would motivate me to go to the gym. And so I started to shift my mindset and say, okay, so how I have to get out of bed. You know, that deal didn't go through. I have to pay rent. How am I going to get this money? Right. The legal way. (laughs) So I had to figure things out and I got a therapist you know, going through life and bad relationships that all have been public on TV, I had to find some help. And she told me one time to write. And I remember saying, I am not paying you to tell me to write. I don't want to write. I'm here because I want to talk. And there was this one night where I could not sleep. And I remembered, write. And I took my phone, my notes, and I started to, and I fell asleep. And after that, I just started to write. And it was about me. It was about me. It was about how I felt. It was about what I needed to get up every morning and push through another day. And I started to put them up on my left side. I would get up and look at the left side and they were post-its, highlights, like just pink post-its with encouraging words. And then the pandemic happened. I thought about putting it all in one book, an easy read, because I move around a lot. I'm Team Tahiri is really just Tahiri. And a lot of people can't read that good, but I'm not going to dive into that subject. Keep going. (laughs) So I remember picking up a book that had a contract in the beginning of it, and it said, read one chapter a day for 40 days. And that kind of stuck with me because it made me feel less pressure, but I still needed to feed my brain something. So I kind of thought about, you know what, what if I put all these things or or my thoughts in an easy read, an easy carry, one affirmation a day. And that's how I got me came about. I love that. There was a lot to unpack. There's a lot that you said there. I want to take it a step back. For those who don't know you, those who don't watch some of the shows you've been on or not in tune with some of the public relationships you've been in, who is Tahiri and where's Tahiri from? Well, Tahiri is a Dominican, one of 14, entrepreneur, reality TV star, model, author, everything that all the opportunities that I've been, I'm taking advantage of. The world met me on YouTube. YouTube turned into covers of men magazines. So I was at your favorite station hanging somewhere. You were purchasing me for years Mm. in every jail cell. (laughs) (laughs) And then that turned into me investing in my own things. Like I started to invest in my own calendars and I did very well before the MySpace days, before all this social media stuff popped off. And then we pretty much Joe Button and I had, you know, Joe Ben TV, where it was about our relationships in the house. So we YouTube that, not knowing how to edit or anything, but we didn't care. We were just super raw and uncut a relationship that we just expressed ourselves and we gained some fans there. We became very popular and that snowballed into TV, TV to radio, to everything. To hear he is a household name. That's how it happened. 
I read somewhere about that uh, you're Harlem, right? Yes. So you were in school and stuff that you were into in the arts and things of that nature, right? Was that your introduction into always knowing that, hey, look, I'm going to be in front of the camera and things of that nature? I felt it as a kid. I, I would always say I was going to be famous. I didn't know how, but I knew I'd be in front of cameras. I remember auditioning for MTV. I was number 3,399 that year in an audition that they opened for everyone. I didn't get it. I remember I had to present the Getting Jiggy With It video. That's how far that goes. Wait a minute. Are you serious? Yes. Jesse won, the rocker. Then I realized that auditions have to be open to everyone. They can't really discriminate, but they already had a vision to what they wanted. Because, you know, I took that one hard. I had checkerboard guest pants on and I thought I was bomb. And I, <laughs> and I made that line. And then I was a punk to remember because every time I, I'm stepping into something unknown, I take the dive. But I remember that they have to push me out the car so I can get online to audition for this. So I didn't get that part. Then they were looking for a female co-host at the Apollo. And my mom wouldn't give me money to get my hair done. So I started calling her the hater. So I missed that audition. Um, so my whole life, you know, my dad would take me to Macy's. And you see how people are always trying to spritz you with this perfume. I would walk around and say, this is going to be my catwalk. Like, I'm going to be famous. And then those dreams, you know, were shut down by them. But I went to school for dancing and I was a cheerleader and all the cute shit. And eventually it followed me. I went to school for criminal justice. I got a bachelor's in criminal justice. Wait, can I stop you? I didn't know that. And that sort of wanted to be my, because I wanted to even go back. I didn't know. So you you have a, a, a bachelor's in criminal justice for real? Yes. Hold on. We got to clap for that. I graduated in 1920, guys. You know what it is that the world really doesn't <laughs> care about the positive things. If I go say some outlandish, that shit goes viral. But I've been saying I've graduated years ago. Wait, so Harry, hold on. Just I just want to let you know that this podcast is not about the salacious nonsense. We don't care about that. You just said that you have your... I didn't know that, and I follow what you've done. I mean, Renee, no, shout out to Renee for, for setting this up. Renee knows. Love you, Renee. So I had no idea. That's a big deal. And that's something that you perhaps should push more to the, the forefront. Like that. That's very important because you do have a lot of women who look up to you because you are a trailblazer and you are, quote unquote, an OG in the space of what you do. And there are women who emulate you and some of the others. And I think that's important because that's not a small feat. I'm going to add to that. Sorry, before we go there, because one, you got a bachelor's, so you completed it. Right. And you are a woman of color. Right. That completed it. Right. So that's definitely something to be commended. So we're going to give you a round of applause for that. I'm with it. I'm you with know? it. Come on. Hey. And beware of anybody who can date you because you're a forensic scientist. So they, <laughs> you can find anything that you need to. <laughs> you've been trained. So, you know who I am, though? I'm the strand scanner. Oh. Like, I'm the girl who don't want to look for nothing, but then I'll be like, this hair, and it ain't mine. That is wow. funny. Not, you know, it's, this is 1B. Like, this is not my <laughs> What's up? I swear to God. They, I, like, I literally named I'm like, I'm a strand scanner. I don't want to find hair. But if I'm in your bathroom, your room, I will find a strand. And I wear glasses. Yeah, that's dope. You know, my daughter. So it's crazy. But Dr. Jump, my daughter is starting high school next year, but they're making them like declare like majors. And she picked forensic science. And that's a hard, you that's know, a hard one. Very that's hard. Not easy. Very hard. Yes. Yeah. But let me, let me ask you this, Terry. If you have your degree in criminal justice, what was it that had you, I guess, halt a career in that direction? And what made you change your trajectory to entertainment and being a model? life happens. I used to say, my husband's going to have a hard time. Whoever I marry has to understand that I'm just going to have my body parts everywhere. Like I loved art and art. I mean like bodies. And I knew that I was different, right. In terms of, you know, just the, my shape, my, you know, my whole 
shape was different as a kid. So I used to say, oh my God, I'm going to do that. And then eventually I lived in a drug infested area in Harlem. So we had a trap whole building across the street from where I was born and raised. And my father was a drug dealer, a big time drug dealer. And I remember not thinking much of it, except for when the police would raid. And I remember there was this one cop and she just had, she shook everybody down. And I was like, that's going to be me. Not thinking that my dad is on the opposite side of the law, that this is a neighborhood I come from. And I just went full force and something in me just kind of lit up when it came to wanting to be some type of law enforcement. I didn't want to be a lawyer. I had a problem with your honor and wearing suits and shit. I just wanted to lock people up. <laughs> so I pursued it. It completely, my dreams of being famous went out the window and I went straight into my career path. I was a cadet. I interned with the NYPD for years. I did everything, Meals on Wheels. I tutored kids. I did everything. I had my polyester uniform. I dreamt of walking the beat or being a marshals or a fed, but then my father you know, had already gotten arrested and sent to DR, deported. And they did show that storyline on the show, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. On Love yes. and Hip Hop. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. I'm sorry. So though a lot of the, th the things didn't line up for some reason. I Still, my passion was criminal justice. And then I remember graduating from criminal justice and giving my mom the, you know, they give you that fake diploma that and, and you have to pick up the real one weeks after you graduate. And I remember her looking at her at Madison Square Garden saying, here, this was for you. But there's something bigger out there for me. So I was just going with my gut. I think, although criminal justice happened to be my passion at the time, I just knew that I did that as a plan B, just to have a safety net. Although, because I didn't understand where I was going. I just knew that there was something bigger out there for me. And I said that and she was upset. She said, you did this for me. I said, yes. And because I don't want to live off of public assistance my whole life, I was trying to lay out the foundation to that my future in case whatever the unknown was, I didn't understand where I was going, but I knew I was going somewhere. I decided to take a chance is what I'm saying with, with whatever feeling that was. And that brought me to YouTube that then turned into TV, that turned into magazines, that turned into me being able to invest in businesses and fail and succeed and, you know. It works. Well, I think, again, what's interesting is you said that that's a lot. And I don't know if this is your first time saying all of that publicly. You interned for the NYPD. You did the meals on what like I didn't know that like that. That's really important, especially where we come from, is like to say those things. So there was no specific catalytic moment that sparked outside of a feeling where you're like, you know what? I don't want to pursue this anymore, mom. I did this for you. I'm going to go pursue the arts. There was like not that moment or that celebrity or I never knew I wasn't going to pursue it. I always had it as a backup plan. So my, my mm. plan was whatever it is that I'm feeling, I'm going to chase that and I'm a prey on it. Right. And if that doesn't work, then I can come back to this. However, what I was pursuing, I, that I didn't know I was, I had to decide because at one point I remember saying, okay, so I have till the age of 33 to join the Academy to become a cop. Right. They give you, there's a cutoff year. And I had like 10 years to go. And here I am. And I get called by one of the biggest men magazines at the time to shoot for them. So now I had to make a decision. Am I going to be in every jail cell or am I going to be a cop? Remember, you can't be in a magazine nude or just in a thong in a two piece and then go work the beat or be in a correctional facility. You know what I'm saying? Or be your parole officer. Imagine you walking in and Tahiri sitting there saying, all right, so uh, got to pee in this cup. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny, T, because you said you were born in 1920. You said that 10 minutes ago. So in 1920, you're right. In 2021, I don't know what anything goes. Right, right. Well, well, <laughs> let's just going? say in, in, in the 90s or in the early 20s, like I couldn't. Right. It was a conflict of interest <laughs> in 20, 2019, 2010 let's say. So I remember saying, okay, so am I going to do this magazine? If I do this magazine, my criminal justice career is out the window. Right. So then I said to Harry, at the time I'm rubbing elbows with entrepreneurs. So they, they taught me that having no limit, the not putting yourself in a box, the thinking bigger, the, the salary at the time, I think they had the Bayer in New York city. I think it was 29,000. I'm like, I'm already driving, yeah, a, 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 I'm already driving a, a, a Beamer or something. I'm already in a Benz I'm like, I can't even pay my car with this. I'm going to go be a whole cop. And then I learned about the restrictions on there's certain stores I couldn't walk into. There's certain things I couldn't do. You know, I have a gun now. There's responsibility. And I'm like, am I ready for this? I was like, well, I got time to go play, explore the world. And if nothing else works, I can come back to this. And so I chose to be on magazines. (laughs) You know, what's interesting is, is something you said about there was this moment where you had a this female cop who, you know, they did a bust in the trap house across the street. And that was like, I want that. Right? He had like braids. He had cornrows. And I was I was like, this was like a movie. It's happening. And I'm a young girl looking at this woman just doing it like men and everybody's like bugging at the tra- And I'm like this across the street, just watching her. And I was just like, the cornrows just did it. I was like, I'm, I'm her. <laughs> I'm her. No, but I say what's interesting about that is while that's inspiring you on the other side of the coin is your father is the very person that she's arresting. Now, did you know your whole adolescence that that's what your father's business enterprise was? I'm the oldest of 14 and my father never lied to me. Okay. I didn't, he tried not to do it in my face, but it was in my face. I mean, you were selling drugs in my neighborhood. So the kidnapping Mm -hmm. threats, like they would come for me because I'm the oldest and I am his prize. But like, I remember calling him and he wouldn't pick up because he had beef you know, he had beepers at the time. He'd be busy. And I'd like call him on the big ass cell phone. And I would like knock on the trap house door in the projects. Right. Cause we had apartments in the whole building. Cause he was popping. And I'd be like, dad, I want the Jordans. He'd be like, no. And I'll just like throw a tantrum. And I would just hear the, the tape being wrapped. Cause they're wrapping up some drugs in the, in the, you know what I'm saying? Like those were my childhood memories. I didn't realize that they weren't normal until I hit 18 and he got arrested and I was getting ready for prom. And all the promises that my dad had my back for me going away to college, he couldn't do them because now he's behind bars. And then I had to realize, wait a minute, my childhood was not normal. The fact that I knew all these things, they weren't normal. But to me, you know, when you when you only know what you know, then that to you is norm. If that's what you grew up, you know, if that's what they taught you. So I realized as an adult, wait a minute, he messed up really bad. But, you know, everything, everything that's good and bad and everything. I'm curious because so you literally are living on both sides of the world. You're going to school at the time, eventually going to work with the law. And your father was on the other side of the law. How did that make you feel? Did you feel conflicted? Was that one of the reasons you pursued it? Or was it just? Ah, I, it's funny. I was telling Renee this yesterday. I felt nothing. I felt to, I did what I wanted to do. And I expressed it to my dad. My dad is a man. He's very, very easygoing. And I remember him looking at me, shaking his head like, yeah, whatever. You know, like when I have my, when I got my first job, you know, I'm a hustler's daughter. So what am I doing working at Rockefeller Center? So he went to Rockefeller Center to look at me and he shook his head from the top. I was at the bottom at the skating rink that turns into restaurants in the summer. And he just hustler's daughter. He's looking at me like, what? Are, you don't need this. And I'm looking at him like in my outfit, like, eh. so I always he always allowed me 
to be, right? So when I remember telling him, this is what I'm going to do. I remember that day he was in the kitchen. He was cooking. My father's funny as fuck. And he he's playing some like some some jazz and he's just moving around the kitchen and he's enjoying cooking and he's funny as hell. He's one of those, uh, my father being a hustler and being a big time, he, he was big time. Everything was exquisite. So he's looking at me like, whatever, Tahiri, whatever, just do your thing, do it. Like he didn't even, so I had no fear. I was just doing again, how I lived to me wasn't, I did not realize that what a drug dealer does is he kills people indirectly. You know, he's, he was doing wrong. It took me some time as life went by to understand these things little by little as an adult, where I was like, to me, that was normal. So me being a cop wasn't like, I'm doing daddy wrong. I'm just doing what I want to do. And he does what he does. You know what I'm saying? It was, it, it hits me now as I'm going through life changes and phases and, and, and it's like peeling an onion. There's so many layers to everybody's story that I sit back. I'm like, yo, I was balling. That's a whole fuck. Maybe a crooked cop. Cause I already know I used to like, mm. Yeah, because I like to live on edge. Like, you know, I started to think about, I, I made it into an, my own movie. I'm like, would I have been a crooked cop? Like, what? Because daddy, you know what I'm saying? So now is where I'm starting to kind of replay my whole life and realize that some of these things never made sense. <laughs> so now your father's arrested. Did they deport him right away? No, he did time. They gave him three years to life. Mm-hmm. And then they sent him away. And he's been away since. It's been, we're going on over 20 years. Now, how did that affect your family's dynamic, right? Because you say you're one of 14. I'm one of seven. Oh, well, now 14. You have a lot more siblings. Okay. But I'm still assuming at that time there was still at least four or five of you. Yeah. How did that affect your lifestyle and how did the responsibility uh, affect your mother, who now as a single mom, you know, who was physically there, how did that affect her? Well, okay. So my father always thinks big, right? Everything he does is big. He thinks big. My mom is the opposite. So I think that those are my struggles now. I say this, and I've said this in interviews before, and it sounds crazy, but my mom's fear is what keeps me taking chances. Because I say, what would she do? And she wouldn't do it. Because I remember my father getting arrested. I remember to this day, there was an old school typewriter. (laughs) And my mom said, something happened to your dad, right? And I was like, what? And there came the kidnapping threats because Drugs were missing. So who were they going to come after? The oldest, you know, his prize and his prize possession. So I couldn't go to school a few days and they had to figure out how I was going to go to school, who was going to take me. I couldn't, people asked me who my father was, I couldn't say, but people knew. So it was weird. So I felt like I was stripped from a lot of my freedom of being a child. Looking back, uh, of course, I'm just going through the motions at the time. My mom now is looking at me. I'm growing. Uh, I can't do certain things because everything that dad, like the car that you get when you're 18 with the ribbon, I'm not getting it because dad is away. I couldn't go away to college because dad is away. My mom can't afford it. You know what I'm saying? So my mom just pretty much, she was, she was afraid and not having my father's backing, you know, and staying in the hood. Cause at the time, you know, I think back in the days people dealt, they dealt where they lived. You know what I'm saying? It was like a family thing. Like this dog go. So I was fearful. Like to this day, I still drive and I drive different ways, even though I got to get home and it is, you know, I I know where I live (laughs) or I'm looking over my shoulder or I don't get in cars if I don't like where we going. And it's just really weird, but it's all about my peace of mind. Now I get it. So it it changed a lot. It changed a lot. I had no, I had no back and I'm the oldest. I'm a girl. Like I had no brothers. So I had to step up. And if I had, if you was trying to, get on my little sister. I'm going to have to fight you because we all we got. Right. Now, would you say that that was a big part of you? Like, was there any element to 
you needing quick money? Because, I, I, you know, I'm sure there was a lifestyle shift where you guys didn't necessarily want for or need for anything. And now with your father being away, I'm sure it changed or shifted quite a bit. Now, dude, were you like, I have to get it. So I have to do the modeling. I got to do this. Like, did that have any? No, I feel like I'm blessed because I don't think as a woman, right, we're nurturers. You guys, you men bring home the bacon. At least that's what it used to be because times are changing. But where I come from, my, my background. So I was blessed to be born with this mentality of I really like I'm a like I work. I love making money. I'm a little money machine. Right. So I think that I'm, I'm blessed to be to have been born with my father's gift. And although he chose to do what he did with his, I chose to do what I do with mine. I am ambitious. And I always think about either making it or it's either going to make me or break me. And I'm not going to break. It's do or die. And I'm not dying. So I think that those things that although the many bad things that happened to me as a child, I guess the things that I was able to see that I wasn't supposed to see, that kind of clouded or took that purity as, as a child. I think that I find a silver lining in that because you could put me anywhere and I'm going to survive. So it kind of like prepared me. For everything else that I wasn't understanding. And here we are today. Like being an entrepreneur is hard. You have to sell water to a whale. My father taught me that. So would you say that you're attracted to adventure and excitement? Is that kind of like you're, because, you know, going from, you know, entrepreneur is definitely risky. And then you were trying to get involved with law enforcement, which is definitely adventurous as well. So that's like kind of like there's some parallels there. I'm just asking, is that something that you feel you're attracted to? At some point in my life, yes. The older I'm getting, the more cautious I'm getting, the more I don't even get on roller coasters. I dislike guns. I thought it was just me. <laughs> no, I, you, well, you have to con me to get on one. If you'd be like, Terry, and I'm like, I need to know that. Get on it. I'm like, I'm on it. Let's go sit down. But, <laughs> but when I tell you that at some point in my 20s and my 30s, you know, the 20s are the years where you think you know everything. The 30s are the years where the 20s creep up on you and everything you did wrong, you start to pay for it. The 40s of years of enlightenment. And that's where I am today. Yeah. So I try to avoid anything that's going to cause any havoc, any harm, any pain, um, any stress. So yes, I am. I definitely been attracted to the problem child, the the powerful guy, the baddie. Uh, you know, the even even in and I wanted to bungee jump back then, and I was into all these kind of things and having guns and going <laughs> to shooting ranges was the thing. Now, if I don't have to, I don't want to. That doesn't mean I don't keep my safety, but I'd rather it be a different way. You know what I'm saying? So it's all, you know, phases of life. I just want to pivot back to something you said that was interesting, just based off of your reaction. You said back in the day, because you said you were a woman, right? And you said men, you know, I'm a nurturer, women are nurturers. And you said men bring home the bacon. Well, at least back in the day. How do you feel about the shift that's happening where it feels like women have evolved to the new men in a sense and men sort of are losing their masculinity because that's honestly how it feels i'm not talking about women not earning their rightful just do like equal pay and all of that that's not what i'm saying that's different i do feel like that women have evolved they are the new men and men are being emasculated well i'm gonna say like madonna said darling i am the rich man <laughs> no but honestly okay so here's the thing it's emasculating because men were taught that's what it comes. This is this is generations and generations of men that being the only reason why you should feel manly. That's completely observed to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you I'm emasculating you because I might make more than you. But that's because that's what we were thought. We were taught that, you know, I feel like 
they're two, like you said, they're two different conversations. The equal pay, absolutely. I'm happy that is happening and we're speaking up for ourselves. But when it comes to a home, I think that, yes, a man always wants to feel needed. And it's hard for them to understand that women like me want to want you. We don't necessarily need you. Period. You know what I'm saying? And it's because we've been brainwashed and we've been programmed to feel, and men have been programmed to feel like, if she can do it herself, then, oh my God, I don't exist. She's going to leave or, you know, and so they just, they, they start doing stuff to like to manipulate us into being in these types of relationships because they're fearing that if I become more uh, successful in certain things, then I won't need you. But there's so much more that comes with being in a partnership because that's what to me a relationship is today. Back then, my thoughts were a little different. A partnership it shouldn't just be one-sided. It shouldn't be, there's levels to it. It should be, if you love someone, you respect them, you consider them, then who cares what we have? This is our thing. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And so money really doesn't make you less manly. To me, it's more important that you have the hunger, that we share that same ambition to want to go get it. You know, that, that there is no, no, there is no limit that you're going to look at me and say, well, we're about to go get this real quick. You know, and that to me is more important in a man that his bank account. I won't be with a conformist, though. I won't be with a person who's okay with just being okay. I won't be with a person who doesn't get up and try to figure it out. When there's something, when something's going wrong, if you're not solution based, I can't be with that type of person. Other than that, so what? So what if I make a little bit more than you? And then sometimes you'll make a little bit more than me. What's important is that we together, regardless to where life takes us, we can make it happen. It does feel like, you know, just talking about monetarily, because women are making more money and you hit the nail on the head. We're all conditioned and brainwashed. And I think men, one of the things that they had over women back in the day was I bring home the money. So you almost have to women, in a sense, felt trapped. Like, I have to do what this guy says. Right. But today you don't need him. You don't need him. You want him. But I think that there's so much pressure on men with social media. And it feels like women, especially in our culture, well, I don't want to say that. I just feel like women want a certain lifestyle. And if a man can't provide that, it puts so much pressure on him to deliver that. And then that's when insecurities creep in. It's like, well, wait a minute. I know I have a bad, she's a baddie. She's a public figure or not. I'm sure there's a lot of people in her DMs. She makes more than me. How the hell am I going to keep this girl? And that's when the issues start arising. But here's the thing. I feel like if a woman can't give her, if I can't give myself these type of things, then why should I demand them from you? Can you say that one more time for the people in the back? Say that one more time, please. If I can't put food on my table, why should I demand you to do it? God damn it. Hold on. Right, I'm right, sorry. Right, 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 right. Like, <sighs> and that's my thing. Yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I like pretty things. Yes, I need a man with power. Yes, I love a man who goes out and gets it. Yes, I'd rather a man be wealthy. No, I'm not going to go date the guy that, you know, blase blah. Like, no, like I have stats. No, no, talk about that blase blah. You talking about make less than like $50,000? Blase blah. Like, I'm not going to go date the guy that I see at the drive-thru when I pull up to pick up my bag because I'm eating unhealthy foods. No, I'm not. <laughs> but then that's, that, I have standards. And that's okay to have standards. Yeah. I work really hard, right? So if you come into my life and I'm driving what I drive, if two brains can't get better at it, then what do I need you for? You know what I'm saying? But I also, you as women, we also have to understand that we're capable, that we have two legs, two feet, and a veg. <laughs> Go out and get it, sister. There's no reason why you should be broke. And then you can sit around and tell a man what he got to bring to you. Why should he? You was born alone. So what happens if that man leaves you for the blogger chick? Or what happens if something happens to that man and God says, boom, he's gone. You're going to starve? 
But it's a hustle now. It's like you you hit, it's like by the way, I I gotta tell a quick story because Jovan was with me. So there this was like two years ago. I went to Tao over in Hollywood and I was with these three girls. It was me, Jovan, and another friend. And one of the girls brought one of her friends and she's ordering everything off the menu. It's my first time meeting her. I'm not even there for her, you know. She's ordering everything. And I was like to the waiter, time out. No one everything she said. I know you remember this. I was like, no one everything she said. <laughs> and then, you know, then it was a bit of headbutting, right? Because she was like, oh, you ain't got it. You shouldn't come to dinner, blah, blah, blah. I was like, time out. I don't know what program you're running, but that's not how we do it here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not a uh, meal on wheels like you did, right? It's like, that's not how this works. You have to have some sort of etiquette, you know, because it's like there are women who go out to dinner just for the meal. I've done it. Right? I'm guilty. I'm mad. Look, I'm always admit to the whatever I've done. I've done it where I'm like, all right, well, look, it's five of us. And then if he like me, he's going to take all of us five. But that's, again, it's all about phases in life. There's levels. There's phases. It was fun for me to see if I could. It's kind of like a game. It's like you guys like to play, too. We play. We're human beings. We play. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's all about challenges. It's all about pushing the envelope. Yeah, and but think about it, men, there are, here's the thing, there are men who, you know, athletes, rappers, whatever, they don't care, so they'll just trick. You're a tax write-off. Yeah, it's like they're spending money, but they're getting something in return. But then you have, you know, the average guy, like, you know, I consider myself the average guy who, I'm not no sucker, I'm not going to just spend, like, I'm not doing that to impress you. And I think that we have created a culture where this is acceptable behavior. And it's like, how do we fix it? I do think it's interesting, because... I'm in my 40s and it's a little different now <laughs> than in when I was like, I should say in my 20s, like hip hop was such a huge influence on my life. But it was also a lot more exquisite back then. But continue. OK, so so and I talked to Dougie about this from time to time and maybe you can chime in. I would hope that you would chime on on this. It's like there was a period of time right when the bling and era kind of popped off in the early 2000s where all of a sudden it went from getting into the club to VIP sections to bottle service. Before that, like there were levels that you got to. And I do feel like the male bravado, the nature of hip hop is, it accentuated that that baller lifestyle that we were trying to show. But the funny thing about it is when you're 20s, obviously if you don't have a lot of talent, you were just a regular cat. You look like a million bucks, but you probably didn't have a million bucks in your pocket, but you definitely showed that image. And there was a that game you're talking about where, we're still trying to be men. We're still trying to to get the girls attracted to us. And so they would be cool with it for the moment. But then once they dissect it to you and realize it's like, you ain't really got it like that, you started to lose that interest. Right. Right. Unless you like the person. Right. Right. But it was interesting to me, though, because there still was that innocence in hip hop in that time where there, I felt like there were more women that were still, he may not have it now, but I see that ambition, baby, like Kanye used to say, and they would ride with you and say, look, he's got it. I'm going to be with it. Cause I'm down on the, I'm buying the stock while it's low and I'm going to see how high it rises. I'm guilty of that too. I did that too. But right. Continue. <laughs> I get it. But nowadays I feel now that hip hop has graduated. Right. Uh -huh. And now that I am in my forties and we were over there the two years ago, these girls want the ready-made dude. Okay. You know, the ready-made guy that's already got it. That's why I expect if I'm going to go out, you do have to pay for everything. You do have to take care of everything. It's not the ready-made dude. It's the, they're just accustomed to men just spending anything. I don't think they're accustomed. I think people are just seeing that. I think we're giving these women too much credit in these situations too much credit. 
it's it's all smoke and mirrors. I think the social media has the world oh, yes, twisted. It I think that just because you see somebody, I've known plenty of women out here with Chanel bags, and I don't really want to talk about all my women. Wait, don't say names. Don't say names. This is not the we don't do that. We don't. No, okay, no, okay, okay, your okay. credit ain't even good, or you're sleeping on somebody's couch because you really <laughs> don't got it, but you're taking that picture. I know the guy that you know serves wings at Wingstop, but then he's standing in front of a Bentley and a, and a nice Louis Vuitton T-shirt, and his sneakers are. Three thousand dollars, but he ain't got. And it's debatable if it's real or not, right? Rental. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I think we're giving these situations too much credit. I think that um, I've been guilty. I've, I've I've been guilty of growing with someone, right? You see them, you like them, and I've also been the girl who said, "Oh, whatever." He's gonna. I have five dates today. That this one is taking me to breakfast. Let's go, ladies. This one is gonna take us to lunch, and then we're gonna wind up at the club with this, and we're gonna pop twenty bottles. We go home. My twenties. Why not? I respect your honesty so much. Thank you. I have freakum dresses that if I would have known, I would have. Those would have been my accolades on my wall. The dresses I wore when the, when when these names that are really big right now, it would stop me at the club because I was shaped different, and they'd be like, "What is this?" And I'd be like, "Me." <laughs> <laughs> and it's all me. It's yeah. all natural, grade A. So, so I think that hip hop has changed, and I said that yesterday too. I said when Big Pimpin' and when Jay came out, it, the the Chloe glasses, it we 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 looked. There was some type of coof, right, to it. Everything, now everything is happening fast. I am going to blame social media for this. I'm going to blame the fact that as positive as it is for us, where you don't even have to go check the news. Before you were walking from after school and your parents were watching the news and you hear Telemundo. Now Telemundo is on social media. So even the lotto numbers come out faster. <laughs> right, right. Um, so as good as it is for us to share news, it is showing people I see brands now that are encourage you to join their teams and they're showing people bags and jewels and ice. How about show them how to flip houses or how to fix their credit or how it, it's just the world we live in today. That's the problem. And there's no regulation of social media and the content. And that's the dangerous part of it all. Young yeah. women think, OK, I want the Yorkie. I want the big view and I want the nice bag and I want to be on a private jet. And this is what it's going to be. So I'm going to go and 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 I'm going to look at this guy and I'm going to date him because of that. And if he can't do that, he's gone. I would just say people will do to you as much as you allow them because I'm not going to play with certain people that way. And this is why I said to the waiter, waiter, we're not doing none of that. (laughs) (laughs) You told him that? I absolutely told him that. Listen, I'm from the Bronx, New York. I'm not a sucker. There's not sucker on my forehead. She ended up eating edamame. (laughs) Although the time we went to, although the the time me, Renee, and you went to, uh, uh, where the hell did we go in New York? The steakhouse. I was like, Tahiri can get whatever she wants. Uh, (laughs) So let me ask you this. So when you started dating, right, it's like because we know about some of the high profile relationships with rappers. Have you ever dated a regular dude who has a nine to five office job? I'm not talking about Ray Ray on a block who drives the Bentley, who moves that white. I'm not talking about the new rapper. Have you ever dated a regular guy? Yes, I have. I don't like that word regular. I think it's it's offensive, like regular. We're, we're all we all bleed. We're all human beings. We just are in different salary brackets. You know, we've been exposed to different things. We have different ambition goals. Somebody out of my circle, like somebody not doing what I do. Yes, I have. And it's a challenge. Dating is a challenge for me. I am used to a certain lifestyle, but I can give myself that. I worked really hard. And that's when I have, that's why I say I have standards and it's okay. First, I used to always say the proper things are interview. It's about chemistry. It's about, no, that was me. Please Google it. It's about, no, it ain't. It's about, I'm not going to walk down the building at 2 a.m. and tell that, you know, that person that doesn't belong to excuse me and you feel unsafe. Like, I'm not doing that, right? I have, and I enjoyed it. But 
security again, because a man is brainwashed or programmed to feel that if I am doing bigger things in his eyes, then I am somebody that he can't trust. So I would be coming home to a man who would be questioning me about the picture I took with a rapper or an artist, or if there was a rumor to hear he's dating such and such, dating such and such, or just go viral. And and I'm with you every night. So, you know, I'm not dating him. Right. But he might be in my DMs. So what? You are here every night. And so I have to come home to the nagging boyfriend. You see vice versa. You know how you guys got the bad chick that you come home to, but then the badge is good, but then you don't want, cause it's too dramatic. Cause all she wants to do is fight. So you have to leave. You're like, I don't even want to go home. So that used to be me. <laughs> hey, Jovan, can you relate? I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> so that used to be uh, me with him. And it used to be like, okay, so yeah. you have a nine to five. He would take the car, drive the car. Like, I remember my ex-boyfriend calling me like, I see this young dude driving your car. And I'm like, so? That's my man. He's like, really? I'm like, so what? I think it's interesting you say that. Yeah, that's really interesting because you are in a special category, you know? And, and we talk about it all the time about like being in an entertainment bubble it's so hard to to date somebody not in the entertainment bubble because so much of your job is when you're an entrepreneur, so you're always on. Anything can lead to an opportunity. My phone rings at all times of the night. You imagine I'm laying in bed and you're like, and we're into it and our phone rings and I'm like, oh, give me a second. It's Renee. Gotta answer this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Renee's like, yo, we, right. gotta, um, we gotta fight tomorrow because we gotta go. We got a bag. Yep. And that's hard for someone in the quote unquote regular world to understand that. But there is there's something to be said about refreshing someone who doesn't have that perspective. And then so I think it's about that stimulation on a different type of level. You probably can't apply regular rules to it. You know, you got to be like, this person just gets me. And that's that level of support. I really wanted to date somebody outside of my bubble because I wanted to come home and feel refreshed. I don't want to have these conversations at home. I want to leave work where it's at and come home to somebody who discusses. For instance, I was dating a realtor, right? No, he was a broker at the time. Right. So I was like, bet, show me how to flip these things now. You know, this is legal. Let's go. Right. And I would come home and and he in turn would always find a way to change the conversation. He didn't want to teach me. Right. And I wanted to learn. And you know what he started doing? And he got himself an artist. Right. Because he couldn't be, he wanted to be a part of my world so bad. It's like when basketball players want to rap and rappers want to play basketball. Rap and rappers, rappers want to be a basketball player. And it's yeah. like, I'm like, dude, no, like the reason why I'm with you is because you're so different than I am. And then became the questions of, well, I heard you, your man is in town. Then I used to go travel and go host situations, parties and stuff. And I would come, oh, one time we ran into each other on in a park at the airport. I think he had followed me to a city and was watching me the whole time. That's some psycho stuff. And then comes the threats of I'll get on a radio or there was this one guy who sent me a picture of me sleep in bed naked. Like, oh, so you want to play? And I'm like, oh, you threatening me with a good time? Because <laughs> they felt insecure. So that I'd rather date people that have equal to lose or more to lose than I do because I, now I have to because I have to protect me and my brand. And I will say this to Harry, and, and I don't mean to, to interject, but what, my eyes were open recently because you hit the nail on the head when you just said this. Your job, well, part of it, because you're an entrepreneur, I read that you owned, I don't know if it was La Marina, but there was a, a bar or club you owned in the Heights. But, you know, but outside of that, your job within the entertainment is is hosting parties and making appearances, being around celebrity. Like, that is your job. And a lot of that is you playing a character. Now, because the world is so seductive and you have rappers who, you know, get any girl they want and, you know, to think your girl works within that, it can spark insecurities and it's scary. However, there is a, a friend of mine who works in the porn industry and, you know, she's pretty big in the world or was. And... 
you know, when you work in that industry, you have men who, you know, drool over you and do all of these things. And then you get treated as such, like when she's out in the real world, you get treated as such. And she, we had a conversation with Dave. She's like, this is not real. Like, I hate doing that. It's a job. I come home and I'm regular. I don't even, and I was like, wow. So my point of view on everything within everything has been, I've been challenging my perspective. So it's interesting you said that. It's hard. We'd be the loneliest MFers, okay, Facebook.com? Yeah. <laughs> like, we'd be, like, the loneliest because it's so hard to be like, yo, this is me. Like, okay, so you see me in a magazine. Great. I'm wearing a two-piece. It might be really small, but this is me. Like, like see me naked for real. Like, me, my doubts, my fears, my my vulnerability to me is a, it's, it's a, it's hard, right? It's hard because I show it on TV. I show it, but I, a relationship is hard because my vulnerability gets, it's like ammo to somebody. Because that's what they use to take advantage because I'm in a public eye. So I have to be very careful. But it's not real at all. My ex-boyfriend, the last ex-boyfriend I had, because I've had a few of those. You know what I'm saying? You had a few. You had a couple. <laughs> that one left. <laughs> he left just because of that. I spoke to him about my contracts and things that I had going on. He was go to hear because they all very go to hear early on. They're the number one fan. And then when it gets real, then they can't. It's like they, you're not manny enough. Or you, or you don't. I thought you knew me. You knew me better than that. So he left because he couldn't deal with the hype that comes with me being in the public eye. But you signed on to this. Yeah. And if you know me, you know that I'm not a cheater. Let me ask you a question, because I want to I do want to progress outside of this into other stuff. You have, But would you say you date the same person or the same kind of guy? I have. I'm guilty of that, too. Oh, you got, this is like therapy. Well, you see, you see the name, right? Yes, you guys are like therapy. Your couch should be a little longer. I should, well, pandemic got me here because I would have been late. Here. Social distance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, I've dated the same person over and over in different bodies. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm leading to a point and I don't mean to cut you off, but because you said, you know, you have standards, but do you think we conflate standards with lifestyle and we're conflating the two? Because in my opinion, hold on, before you answer, I think lifestyle, security, comfort is one thing. Standards is I just want a good guy, high character, good standards, makes decent income and would treat me good. I definitely mix them both because that needs to come okay. with a job too. What do you mean? Treat me good, get a job. <laughs> no, 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 no. T, what I mean is this. What I mean is this. There are a lot of people who put like this, the guy who may not have it all will treat you better. Mm. Right, right. That's the perception, okay. right? Because there's still men who are a piece of trash. But then the guys who can afford you or sort of give you that lifestyle, it feels like you're always going to be the miserable one or lonely, the lonely girl in the castle. Because when you have money and affluent and power, you're gonna have a plethora and a litany of options. So you're only faithful of the option, right? Yes, that is what generally speaking we think of when we think about the two sides of the spectrum. Yes, honestly. We could see that. Like a lot of these girls are out here with the, you know, rapper, the basketball player, and they're miserable, but they look good on the gram. Shout out to you. I don't have the esophagus for that, which is why I'll probably date them. And if the minute I feel wrongly treated, I got to go. I don't care what you can get. You can pick the shit. You can come pick it up. Right. right. <laughs> but, and I think I, I, I'm just a strong one, I guess, in, in, when it comes to that aspect. I believe you can find both. I mean, call me a sucker for love. Call me a hopeless romantic. Call me whatever you want to call me. You know what I'm not going to do is settle. So you guys could think 
that I am in a perfect relationship, hashtag relationship goals. Um, I love when people question me having children or being in a relationship or why haven't I been married to anybody after I said no to three rings. It's just that I will not settle. I don't believe in finding perfect, but I do believe you can find somebody that has morals and goals and aspirations and has a great amount of zeros but they've already lived like you've lived and now they want to do better. Cause we all have some hoe in us, you know, <laughs> you might not be a hoe, but you got whole tendencies. We all are guilty of messing up. Yeah. You, you know, you're right about yeah. that. But every, every man will tell you, you definitely want it. You just, what is it? Lady in the streets. Yeah. And a freak in the, freak bed, in the bed in the streets. So that's true. I, I would say this, I hear what both of you guys are saying. And one thing that I'm realizing bringing up the 40 things is you start to realize most of the time, I'm my own worst enemy of not getting what I want. And in bringing up, you say you're, you do tend to date the same guy. So I think ideally what you're doing is like, these are my standards. This is what I want because this is what I'm attracted to. But we kind of maybe have to be open minded and say, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm not settling, but maybe I should switch this up a little bit because clearly this isn't working. And I need to maybe because I am successful, maybe I needed somebody that stimulates me, but is still secure in themselves. I think for you, it's interesting because it's hard for a woman to be that because it does kind of take away the role of a man that is supposed to be a provider or all these things. You already got that covered. I want some more though. I mean, I'm following and bringing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You are. Yeah, you want that. Come bring the zeros, baby. We're going to help. We're going to flip it. I'm going <laughs> more lead to the Russell. And that's what baby. I'm saying. <laughs> See, I like that because every, every, every man is looking for his Michelle Obama. You know what I'm saying? Barack wouldn't have been, but said, yeah. Bring it out. I'm going to figure out right. how to flip it. Right. But sometimes they don't even know that about themselves. Right. Because they're killing it at their job, but their their job is limiting them. Right. You have to shatter that glass window. Exactly. So then I think that that's I think that's big, too, because I feel like if men knew that communication was key, that you would say, you know, this is what I'm doing. And if you together can kind of brainstorm that you guys could create, because it's always it is a sixth degree of separation. So if two people get together, that's why I keep saying if I live this type of lifestyle and you come in, then we can be better because it's two worlds combine into one. I do believe that the older we get, it's not that my standards have lessened. It's just that, that I, I, I'm clicking different boxes because what used to matter doesn't matter anymore. It's all about growth. So to what you were saying earlier, the standards and what you want and the type of guy I date now, I'm looking at it before I didn't want to date anybody with children. Now, I mean, I'm in my forties. You know what I'm saying? How many kids you got? I have zero and I'm <laughs> 35 in two weeks. Let's make some noise for that. <laughs> So you wrapping it up. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? When you start to get to your age, you ain't got no kids. But hey, there's something else going on there, brother. Let's go get tested. <laughs> <laughs> no, you gotta, I, I got to test. I got to check my eggs now. He's got to check to see if they swim it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, funny. But no, honestly, that's what it is. I don't think my standards have less. And I think I just checked different boxes. Terry, what is your biggest fear? Wow. You couldn't call me yesterday and ask me this so I could be prepared for the question. <laughs> Take <laughs> a sip of that water right there. Take a sip. My biggest fear, I have a big fear. I, right now, in the space that I'm in, right now, it's, I think, not to be able to provide and help the people I love or that person I can shift their mindset because I know what it is to feel like I don't, I, I can't, or I, I or where am I going to get it from, or, or losing someone you love. It's, it's not being able to change somebody's life that matters. And I could be just a stranger that I run into. I think that is my biggest fear that the word no because I always figure it out like I think that's my biggest fear not to be able to protect provide what is the biggest misconception about Tahiri 
man, the biggest misconception that I'm just butt cheeks, <laughs> that I'm just butt cheeks and I'm a fighter. I'm actually a lover. I've just had to fight for everything I believe in, everything I love. I've had to protect. I'm the oldest. I haven't been treated kindly when it comes to men with men in relationships. Therefore, I don't suffer from PTSD. So if you come in and you like slam a door or get loud, I don't be like, oh my God. You know what I'm saying? I understand where I am. I understand that there's work to be done. But I, anytime people hear of me fighting, I'm not fighting, I'm fighting back. Because I'm really a big lover. I have a huge heart. But I've had no other choice but to stand up for me, my mommy, my sisters, you know, my brand. You can't mess with my money, meals, music, or men. Because <laughs> we got problems. You know what I'm saying? I've had to protect all my M's, my millions, <laughs> that I don't have IRS. But anyway. <laughs> Your book. Yes. So you, it feels like the book was a cathartic experience. You got everything out. You got it done. So now that you, it's out there, it's put up. What do you hope people take from your memoirs? That life is about a dance. Life is just a dance. There's ups and downs and loops and turns. And you just have to just go with the flow and, mm -hmm. and learn. And even in like me reading my book, cause I, I laugh, you know, I, I, you know, I know a lot of um, artists and they like, I have to, you know, sometimes you forget your own song. So I've had this book and I've been working on it without knowing I was actually going to put anything out so long that sometimes I have to revisit it. And there's still things that I've written that I struggle with, that I have to get better with, you know, staying positive and remember to laugh. And I want people to understand that life, it's, it's like having a car, like you have to give your car service, right? If not, it stops working. And that's just life. So you have to, the, the reason why the book is not dated, the reason why the book, it is what it is, and it gives you space to write in it is because what that affirmation that might've not hit that spot that day might hit the spot next month. So just please continue to stay positive, continue to read and continue to choose because it's a choice to feed your brain the right things and ignore that person in your brain sometimes that wants to create that doubt. We're our own worst enemy at the end of the day. So it's up to us to choose happy, no matter what. Are you happy? Yes, I'm happy. You know, I speak to myself in the morning <laughs> and I have to remind myself, I'm, I was always in survival mode. It's something that it, it just life, you know, where I come from, survive, right? So I do things because I have to survive. I have to make sure that I, I protect myself. I have to survive. There's all these things and you make the wrong decisions. I have to remember that. I need to have faith. I need to like be thankful and grateful and I need to be present because life is short. And if one thing COVID taught me is that nothing was really promised. You know, people say that all the time, like the book, nothing that you read in this book is something that you've never heard before. It's just in my words and the editors. I got me and it started by me hashtagging. I got me because if I don't have me, then who else is going to have me? So it's about just making that decision to fight all the no's in your head and start doing a lot of the yeses. I want to say uh, thank you for for sharing about the counseling and therapy. I don't think enough in our community people people perceive that as a weakness or an unnecessary or an unnecessary expense. But there's so much going on in your head most of the time. You got to get it out. And I'm a big proponent of it, of mental health and stuff. So fine. They used to tell us to go grab a bottle of Henny and be like, "What the weed? <laughs> you got a problem? Get out of here, Just girl." You know what? Yeah. You're, Terry, you're yeah. crying. I, I, one of the things you've said was that, you know, your biggest fear is not being able to provide, protect, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you feel it's your responsibility? Because that's a lot of pressure. It is. Why do you feel it's your responsibility to take care of other people? 
why can't they go get it themselves? They can. I'm not enabling people. That's not what I've said. I'm not saying I'm giving it to you. I give tough love. So if you want a car, go get two wheels. I'll give you the other two. Not because I can't give you the car, but because I need you to understand that you can go get it. I can teach you how to fish. You know what I'm saying? And that taking advantage, that's another trigger for me. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm being taken advantage. But I feel like I know what it is to feel with, with you know, not to be ha- to have anything or, or feel like you're in, like nobody's, no, like I know what it feels like to not have somebody have my back. So if I can change that for someone, I would, I could, I, if I can, yes, I am. Because it's, what is it? Each one, teach one. And, and all I ask for people is to do it to someone else when someone else needs. Like I walked in the other day and my bartender was stressed out. Right. And I was just like, dude, what's up? She was like, oh man, you know, she's, she's studying to be a lawyer. She's got to take the bar. She has three jobs. She's waitressing, bartending and everything. And I looked at her and she's like, I've had the worst day. And I'm sitting there like, all right, well, shit. Well, join the club. And <laughs> she's like, I have to take the bars coming up, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, cool. She was like, they told my car. She was like, I don't even know I'm going to get it because I don't have it. Right. But she's being candid with me because I'm cool. I'm Tahiri, but I'm cool. I'm looking crazy too that day. And I said, all right, well, just give me license plate while she's busy moving around at the restaurant. I'm trying to find her car. But I'm reading a script too at the time. And I found the car. And then I left and came back with an envelope and I gave it to her. And I found out how much the car was. I found out where the car was. All the stuff I learned by having these boyfriends that didn't know how to do nothing. <laughs> they come in handy, ladies. So <laughs> I learned how to find the car. And then I, and I put the money in the envelope and I gave it to her. And all I asked her, she cried. I said, all I asked her was, well, you pass the bar because I know you're going to be this amazing lawyer. Take a pro bono case. Just pay it forward. And she could not tears. And I'm like, all right, now that this is embarrassing, go, go make another drink. Get a round of applause um, for that. And she's a lawyer it. now. She's a lawyer now. And now she hits me. <laughs> she's like, when can I see you? You know? So, you know, I just, that to me was everything. Cause I remember getting my car towed and not knowing where I was going to get the money to get it out I, when I was a bartender. That's dope. So I, I have three more questions and then we'll gracefully let you go because you know, you've given us a lot of your time. What does the next chapter for Tahiri look like? You know, I hate that question. And I'm and not going to be No, I love that. I remember being asked, what do you see yourself in the next five years? And at the time I was going to school for criminal justice. So I didn't see, I saw this before, but I didn't really know that this was going to be it or that I was, you know, where I was going with it. Life happens, you know, you can have a skeleton like written, like, you know, when you're about to build a building, you can have a blueprint of anything and, and it sends you curveballs in some things or, or most things, even when bad, there's something good that happens after that lesson. I don't know. I do know that it is very happy, very much married. I'm eventually going to say yes to a ring. I <laughs> shall not settle, but I just pray for, for, for happiness, love and, and success in that order. It's health. It's love, it's happy, and it's wealth because when you have all the other things, you can easily create any wealth for yourself because you're happy and you're healthy. So I don't know, but except for I am going to be happy with children and healthy. That's it. Everything else doesn't matter. Everything else is just material things. Well, you know what they say, the love of your life could be sitting right in front of you, or in this case, the next screen. 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we call that taking your shot. So <laughs> are there more books in your future? Do you plan on making this a trend? I did. Uh, you know, I did start what not to do in business since I've messed up so much money. Again, easy read. I sat down with my person and I was like, I have, you know, I went to sleep, woke up with like these 20 rules of what not to do in business. So now I'm working on how to give you, so if I'm giving you what not to do in business, how to help you to create your LLC or who to speak to or kind of some solution based for what not to do because I've done these, I made these mistakes and blew so much cash. So yeah, so I'm working on that. And then of course, you know, you got the book about my life story, The Hustler's Daughter that I've been working on, which I thought would probably be the first thing to come out like in my life. In my, I've always wanted to, my father, me, like all the, I've always wanted to do that. So those things are just sitting there now. And whenever I get inspired to, I'll probably put them out. By the way, that would be a, a fantastic television show. Absolutely. You know, obviously I would change certain things for TV purposes, but the idea of this girl who is naive to the world or truly doesn't understand the world her father's in, and then the daughter who's going to school. <laughs> Dougie, Renee just said that to me. Renee's been telling me this for years. <laughs> That's a TV show. So. Mona Scott Young was recently in the news. And this is something that I never do, right? Because I don't like talking. No, no, for real. We don't do this on the show. We don't, we're not, we're not in it for TMZ sound bites to go. That's not what it is. But Mona Scott this week was in the news. They asked her, why do you feel that you get scrutinized more than some other reality TV creators? And she made it a sexist thing. She said, I think because I'm a woman, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you think Mona Scott? catches so much flat for the content she creates because mona scott did it and she was the best to ever done it i think that it can be a sexist thing i read it of course i did you know unfortunately mona scott gets that type of rap but we sign on to stuff it's not like they hide anything from us when we sit in the meetings you know what i'm saying so that's why i've never gone out loud and said oh you know mona scott what they used to call her the devil to me she doesn't she didn't she sits you down the contract is there you sign on you you know these you know what's about to happen especially when you've seen it seasons and seasons before honestly number 1 i mean it was 5.1 million viewers at the time she's done things that not many people have done in the reality tv world so what is it that they say with huge, with huge power, great power, because great responsibility. So then she's going to have to take those blows because she's the best that ever did it. Come on. Let's be honest. And then when you look at everybody else who's doing it as big in different networks or who you can kind of compare her to, they're men. You know what I'm saying? So I could see how she could see it as a sexist thing, but she really did the damn thing. So shout outs to her. I'd just be like, because we sign on to that. You don't have to. She doesn't put a gun to your head and say sign on to this craziness. That's about to happen when your baby daddy was with something. You know what I'm saying? Like, get out of here. Yeah. And I look at the impact that love and hip hop had for the culture yeah. is equivalent. Well, like Jersey Shore. Right. So they both caught flack. I just feel like Mona's is a little bit worse, perhaps, because. I think we all know why. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's in the range. But, and I, by the way, I love Jersey Shore. It's my um, guilty yes. pleasure. I love it. I love it. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah, fun we, stuff. We want to do fun stuff now. Fun, fun okay? stuff. Fun stuff. All right. Favorite actor? Viola Davis. Viola Davis. All right. Favorite Viola Davis film? Oh, wow. And don't say Fences. No. I just think everything she does is amazing. Every time I go on set or anything I have to do, I say I got a Viola Davis this. I just have this whole, like, I just think everything about her is amazing. I like everything that she does. Favorite director? I think... Quentin 
Tarantino is kind of weird. Damn it. Why would you say that? He's though? kind of oh, weird. Like, it's, so you know, it's, it's, it's very intricate. <laughs> yeah. She, she, hey, she, hey, you don't have to think about and it. And I like Quentin. Yeah, but yeah, like, we love, hey, just, I love uh, me some Quentin. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, Kim Kardashian. You know, I love them both, but I'm gonna have to go with Marilyn. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, favorite movie? Oh, man, City of Gods. Ooh, ooh. I would, I didn't expect that. That was dope. City of God. Not, what, dope. what did that expect it from me? I have, a, I have a top three, but. Yeah, no one, no one talks about City of God. It's, <gasps> yo. <laughs> what? It was, it, I can't, I, yeah. look, I saw it and I remember being in high school. I remember what I had on and I remember who took me out on that date and who, who, who actually opened up my eyes to indie films and indie theater. I had no clue. I'm from Harlem. I just, I had a Louis Vuitton and I had a Cartier watch, but that's all I know. And this man takes me on his date and, he, and that was my movie and the movie is just blew me away. It's always been my number one. Michael Jackson, Prince. Oh, why? <laughs> why? That's the best answer. Why? I'm going to be honest. Michael Jackson, because I grew up on Michael Jackson, and I never understood why Prince had his cheeks out. Never understood. and got the baddest cheeks. <laughs> but older Tahiri appreciates them both to where I am a Prince fan to the T. But it took me, it took older Tahiri to understand Prince. Eddie or Dave? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I can't do this. <laughs> this is bad. No, this is a setup. You guys should have hashtag setups on the bottom. Oh, man. Can I just, get, I got to give a little disclaimer to when I say stuff, okay. when I say stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Eddie because I grew up on that. My dad, my dad, Eddie, Eddie Murphy, like everything Eddie. But Dave today, like I go to Dave's shows, like DJ Trauma's my man. I appreciate it. That's Eddie. my guy. Shout out DJ Trauma. Shout out yeah. DJ Trauma. So like both. Can I just do both? I just say, can I just do yeah, both? We'll take, I saw we'll Eddie in, in GQ Magazine because I followed GQ Magazine in the 90s and he could have got it back then. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tina Turner, Beyonce. Oh! My God, but you know Beyonce channels Tina Turner. Like I just saw like celebrities fanning for their celebrity crushes, and it was and it was Beyonce flipping out about working with Tina. I'm old school. Looks great by 81. She's 80, she just retired. Yeah, she did. I saw she said a goodbye and it was kind of sad and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I am gonna go with Beyonce, but I love it on Tina. I'm good. I have one more, but this is the most important to Harry. You ready? Dougie Cash or Jovan. You got my. Hey! hey. He's like, I'm gonna drop my cash app, <laughs> but I'm gonna need it. I'm gonna need an answer, Terry. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, go get "I Got Me." It's available on Amazon. Terry, thank you so much. Thank you for dropping some gems. Thank you for exposing information that I never heard. You being in school and all that other stuff. It's inspiring. Renee, thank you for setting this up. And ladies and gentlemen, Terry. Jose. Thank you for having me, guys. Yay. All right, you got it. Thank you. Thank you, T. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and comment on Apple Podcasts and visit our Facebook page at WMNC Podcast. You can also find the guys on Instagram at Dougie Cash and at Jovan underscore WMNC. Also, a big shout out to Studio Pod Media, Nodelab, and the Network Studios. Until next time, bye. <laughs>